Welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the latest news and analysis of Scottish football before 4pm, just in time for your daily commute. Today, we're going to take a wander down memory lane with Graham Strachan, the author of a new book, The Bird and the Feather, Kanija and Ravenelli's Dundee Adventures. We'll be looking back on a tumultuous time in Dundee's history, where they were able to sign genuine world superstars. So without further ado, let's get to that conversation now. Well, I've got Graham Strachan on the phone. He is the author of the new book, The Bird and the Feather, Kanija and Ravenelli's Dundee Adventures. Now, this book chronicles a period in Dundee's history that is remarkable. It's a never to be forgotten um, and probably never to be uh, never to happen again period of time um, in the club's history. Yes, Johnny. You look back at that era and you see names uh, like in the title of the book, uh, Claudio Kanija, uh, Fabrizio mm. Ravanelli. You even look at players like Georgie Nimzadze, who was a terrific player, mm. Juan Sara, mm. uh, Fabian Caballero. There were so many of them. What was the plan? The plan had kind of came into operation the year before Ivano Benetti arrived when Jockey Scott was still the manager. Steve Archibald was actually um, in the background at that time. And there was a lot of players that were coming over from Spain that he was kind of masterminding. And I think the plan really was to give these guys a platform and really then to sell them on um, at a profit. And that was kind of the way that the the plan was mapped out, was to give these guys the platform of the Scottish Premier League, show what they could do and then sell them on to bigger clubs and kind of keep the conveyor belt going. Yes, it was a significant cost, wasn't it, though? I mean, there was players coming in that, that, that not only cost wages, but there was big transfer fees being spent. There was, and I think they were unlucky in a way because you look at Fabian Caballero, um, who you mentioned, the way that he started the season in 2000, and had it not been for the injury against Dundee United, which of course wouldn't have brought Kinija to Dundee, but um, you know there was already talk of him at that time um, going for big money to the old firm. So you could see how the project um, could easily have worked. I think looking back on it with hindsight, they, they were unlucky at times with with injuries, but they obviously needed to pay the wages to get these guys uh, over here. A lot of fans presumably look back on this period with fondness, despite what followed, because the football was just absolutely terrific to watch. The football was uh, incredible. Um, If you watch Dundee at the start of the season um, under Ivano Benetti, they played Motherwell and it was just free-flowing football, it was passing football, it was possession football. Um, And really these... These, these world players that had came across, um, they, they were just fantastic. Um, you know, it was just a great time to be a Dundee supporter. And I think you're right, you know, they look back on that period. Obviously, it was a roller coaster ride that eventually came off the rails, but, uh, you know, it was a hell of a ride while it was, while it was going. And, and Dundee supporters really do look back on that time with a great deal of fondness. You talked about the fact that Caballero's injury led to Kanija coming in. What was the genesis of that move? Well, the move really had been that obviously Ivano and Dario uh, Benetti, his brother, who were the management team at Dundee, they had um, a long association. They played in Serie A and Ivano and Dario both knew Claudio from his time in Serie A. And this was really about a friend helping uh, a friend. And when Caballero got his injury, they they kind of started a worldwide search. Gianluca Viale at one point was... um, 
rumoured to be coming. There were other players that were looking at, but uh, at that time, Kanija had left Atalanta in the summer and he really had no plans to get back into football. He'd had a bit of a fallout with the Atalanta manager, hadn't started the season with a club and he was looking towards actually the start of the following year to go to the MLS in America and wind down his career and really have one last payday. But uh, Avano and his powers of persuasion um, suggested to him that uh, he could come over, help a friend, get his fitness back up. And I think at that time, you know, if he, he did then leave uh, for the MLS, you know, um, he, he would have his kind of fitness, everything like that. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that when he came over here, things uh, just turned and, and it was, you know, far and above what anybody could have expected. Yeah, because there was a sense that he was a bit of a busted flush. You know, he'd had his problems with drugs in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, obviously, watching him in the 1990 World Cup where he was he was mm-hmm. very, very good indeed. And people will remember the, the run that he made against Cameroon where he was chopped down mm-hmm. uh, dramatically by two Cameroons. <laughs> they couldn't stop him, despite the fact that he took off his shoe. But when he came to Scotland, Graham, he was just so dynamic and he still had all his mm-hmm. pace. Well, if he didn't have all his pace, he must have been incredibly quick at his peak. And I think that was summed up in that first game, wasn't it? He, he played so well in that that introduction. He scored his goal, and uh, he made an immediate impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, he still had pace to burn, and he was sharp as a tack. And I think the thing with him was that you're right. He had had these periods out of the game. Um, his mother had committed suicide. He took an enforced year out of the game. Um, things seemed to follow him. So I think there was a, a slight, you know, a, a trepidation. I, I, I don't know. There was a worry that he was kind of bringing baggage. Was he damaged goods? Was he kind of washed up? Um, but all that was quickly extinguished when he played his first game for Dundee um, against Aberdeen, coming on as a substitute at half time. Yeah, and he was a genuine superstar. What was he like cutting about Dundee? Well, I mean, this was a guy that was used to the superstar treatment um, and certainly superstar teams big teams, big players. And I mean, Dundee trained on public parks, which were generally quagmires, not the greatest of facilities. But this wasn't a guy that was a prima donna. That came across quite quickly. He impressed his teammates straight away with his kind of desire to train. He was hardworking. He was very polite. He was a very nice guy. He used to enjoy, after training, sitting in uh, Visoki's, the coffee shop in Brody Ferry. He would sip his coffees. He would sit with some of the other... Uh, Italian players, he would pick his kid up from school. He was a very normal guy for somebody that was, you know, had such a superstar status. And apart from Diego Maradona, was even at that time the most famous footballer still in Argentina. But you, you, you wouldn't have known it. He's a very humble guy. Somebody that if he thought that he had offended you or he was causing any offence in any way, would be hugely apologetic. He was just a very humble man, a very, very nice man. And I think that's really one of the big reasons why the Dundee players, the Dundee fans, everybody connected with Dundee took him straight to their hearts, you know, he was just a fantastic guy uh, on and off the field. What sort of salary was he taking in when he was at Dundee? I would imagine it would be not insignificant. I would have thought, um, I think the figures that were being banded around when he first came were £10,000 a week, which were going back almost uh, 20 years. And at that time, the top earners in Scotland were probably thirty-five to £40,000. I mean, this was around the time when Rangers and Celtic were 
throwing money um, around. We were seeing guys like Neil Lennon come for £6 million. Tori Andre Flo came just a few months after Kinija for £12 million. So, I mean, there was cash being thrown around left, right and centre in uh, Scotland. But it was obviously huge money um, for, for Dundee at that time. But obviously he didn't come with a transfer fee. And then there was the renegotiation of the contract at uh, Christmas, the start of the following year, where I believe his uh, salary was increased further uh, after that. But certainly nobody at Dundee was ever giving away too much as to how much he actually was being paid. But uh, I think uh, they, they would say in later years that uh, it, it was a, a hell of a lot of money that he was on. And of course, to be fair, they did manage to sell him on. I mean, unbelievably, for a million pounds for a player who was, I think, 34 or 35 at the, at the time, significant value. I think it was, but I mean, the season that he had, and, and this is the incredible thing, I mean, he played 25 games for Dundee, which isn't a huge amount of games when you think about it, but the impact that he actually had during that season from October until he eventually left in the summer of 2001, I mean, he's now a Dundee Hall of Famer, he's somebody who would be in most Dundee fans' uh, greatest ever eleven. The impact that he actually had when he was here, he showed he had pace to burn, he showed he still had the skills, he showed that he was still good enough to cut it at the highest level, and he did it. He did it against the likes of the Rangers, the Celtics, um, you know, he, he was there, he stood up, he was the guy that was uh, leading Dundee forward, great goals, great assists, great skills, and you're right, you know, he was 34 years old when he went to, to Rangers, and it wasn't long after that that he then got a recall to the international uh, side as well, so, you know, that just shows you what a player he, he still was, even at uh, in the twilight of his career. And of course, went on to have a couple of successful, very successful years mm -hmm. with, with Rangers after he made the move across uh, to Glasgow. Now, um, another player um, that's in the mm -hmm. title of your book is Fabrizio mm -hmm. Ravanelli. How yes. did he make the move to Dens Park? Well, I mean, Kenicha had left, obviously, in the summer of 2001, but the big spending at Dundee didn't stop there. Um, they continued to bring in big names, the likes of Timuri Ketsbaya came in, they signed Fanzi, the Chinese captain, um, which was an episode which actually saw Dundee at one point become the second most popular side in China behind Manchester United. Um, but ahead so, of time you know, in many ways, you know, that would be significant now if they'd kept that up. It would be. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, the, the model continued, the big spending continued. But by the time we got to the summer of 2003, um, Dundee at that point were, were, were heavily in debt. And this is when Giovanni De Stefano um, was brought onto the board. And he was at that time um, looking like the white knight. He was looking like the guy who was going to be the saviour who was going to invest money um, in the club. And he, he did start off, uh, certainly at that first transfer window, looking to bring in some significant players, uh, such as Paul Gascoigne, James McFadden, Peter Crouch. These kind of guys Ed, were, were Edgar all linked. Davids, Edgar Davids, was he linked with Dundee at one point as well? Edgar Davids was linked with uh, Dundee at one point. It was actually before a game against uh, Perugia. <laughs> Um, Dundee, Dundee were preparing for that game and uh, Giovanni De Stefano wanted Jim Duffy to um, 
to put his preparations to one side, to jump off uh, and, and head to the airport to, to fly over to Turin. Um, David's at that point was was nearing the end of his contract. He'd had a bit of a falling out with Marcello Lippi and Barcelona, and <laughs> yeah, Barcelona and Chelsea were both um, interested in him. But uh, Giovanni thought that they could tempt. Edgar Davids from his penthouse in Turin to a tenement in Tannadice Street, but uh, it never, it it didn't, it didn't quite happen. But uh, the the thing was, I mean, at that stage, Ravanelli had 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 just joined uh, Dundee, and it was another pinch yourself moment for Dundee fans. So you know, whereas previously it would have been, there's no chance that we would get Davids. I think there was probably a degree of doubt in some people's minds, just given the madness that uh, had happened over those past three years. Yeah, young Dundee fans will be listening to this just <laughs> finding it difficult to believe. You're saying, you know, they're at a game in, against Perugia. Mm-hmm. Edgar Davids is being linked uh-huh. to the move from Juventus. It's quite crazy when you look back on it. Um, the, the, the thing that stuck out for me from Ravenelli's spell, I know he scored mm-hmm. a, a hat-trick and he scored a couple mm-hmm. other games, but it was the image of him walking down Tannadice Street for the derby from Dens Park to Dundee United Stadium, um, Tannadice. Um to take part in that game, and I think he was interviewed around the game and he was talking about how great it was. You had two clubs on the same street. Uh-huh. Was he a guy that, that settled into Dundee life quite nicely? I know he, I know he was staying in the, the local hotel with Craig Burley from an interview uh-huh. with Craig Burley a few years back. So I wonder yeah, how he, he adapted to the Dundee lifestyle. He was very similar to uh, Claudio in that he took to Dundee life um, you know, very well. I mean, this was a guy who we'd heard about um, at, at Middlesbrough. I mean, you speak to some of his Middlesbrough teammates who talked about Ravanelli in the dressing room having his own chef and he had an Italian agent or four agents at a time in the dressing room with him. He was disruptive. He was this, he was that. You know, it could have been the passage of time. He's an older head. He's an experienced guy by now. He was 34 when he came to... Uh, Dundee, but a nicer guy, and you know, you you couldn't have imagined uh, meeting. Nothing was too much for him. Any press request that came in, he was happy to speak to local journalists. Um, he was happy to to chat to folk. Uh, he would go out of his way. Um, he was always somebody that would speak very highly of Dundee. He enjoyed the city. He enjoyed his uh, short spell here. He was also a guy as well that uh, the youngsters took to him at Dundee very quickly as well. He was happy to pass on his tips, his experience. He would stay behind and work on certain things with some of the young strikers as well. Um, you know, and they, they still speak high, so highly about him um, to this day. But it's interesting you mentioned that Derby uh, at against Dundee United because he was taken aback that day as he walked down. One was that certainly his derby experiences in Italy were, um, you know, you would be attacked um, often in, in Serie A given the, the, the rivalry and the passion in Italy. But here he was wandering down Tannadice Street where he was accosted by supporters who were clamouring for his autograph. Now, you know, that wouldn't have been unusual, but the thing was, these guys were Dundee United supporters and even they were taken aback that here was Ravanelli and that's how big he still was at that time, you know. And uh, even his rival fans were queuing to... To, to get his autograph. So we've covered the basis of uh, of the, the era, and I'm sure the book goes into much, much more detail on all of this, but mm. just a little uh, insight into in how it all went wrong. I think people are probably getting a fairly good idea of who mm. it may have gone wrong. Mm. But, but what followed for Dundee? Well, the, I mean, where it went where it went wrong was that um, 
you know, they were paying these these wages, the, the, the bills were, were coming in, these signings were coming in. I mean, the, the, the harsh reality was that they just couldn't shift these guys on uh, at profit. And there was various things that that happened which were, were very unfortunate. Um, you know, the Caballero uh, injury that we, we, we've just mentioned, he, he was never the same player when he came back. You know, he, he was a guy who they could, he could have sold for 7 to 10 million had he continued at the start of that season as as well as he did. But they were carrying heavy debts. I think they were looking for Giovanni Di Stefano to be the guy who was going to save them. And it evidently became clear that he was somebody um, who was giving a lot of false promises. And Dundee voluntarily, uh, the board put themselves into um, administration. And it was a sad fact. The human cost was that a lot of guys um, left the club a lot of people, a lot of young guys um, left the club as well. The obvious knock-on effect for local businesses and everything like that as well. So it was an incredibly uh, sad time um, for Dundee as a city, not just for the club. And I mean, at one point it did look like um, Dundee could actually lose uh, its, its football club. It, it was that dire, but uh, there was great work done by the administrators and also the Mar Brothers themselves, it has to be said, um, you know they were owed a lot of money in that as well, and they wrote off those debts so that the club could um, continue. Um, you know, and it, it, it soldiered on, and that's you know the great thing um, about it is that the club is still there to this day. We we don't have the the mad spending that we we had. We maybe don't have the world superstars that we had in those days, but the club is still uh, alive and kicking, and that's uh, ultimately the main thing for for Dundee Sports. Yeah, and there's always the memories, Graham. Now, where can people get a hold of this book? They can get a hold of this book from the DC Thompson shop at the moment. Um, you can get it online at www.dcthompsonshop.co.uk. You can also come into our offices in uh, Dundee if you're you're in the city. But um, if you're Ordering copies online, they'll be out to you free of charge very quickly as well. Nine ninety nine is the price, so a perfect Father's Day gift, and uh, they'll be in the shops for Father's Day um, as well. So hopefully, it will give Dundee supporters a, a, a you know a nostalgic look back at uh, a, a sensational period um, for 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 the club, and certainly the early reaction has been from Dundee supporters that you know it's a period that uh, they don't want to admit that they would. L- like to go back through again because of what happened or almost happened to the club at the end. But, you know, you speak to most of them and uh, they, they, they probably would, given just how fantastic the football was and just, just what a soap opera it was. There was never a dull moment, you know, and that's what kind of jumps out of the book. There's always something happening. There's always a twist or a turn. You know, your your jaw's on the floor most of the time as well at some of the happenings that were going on. So hopefully people will, will enjoy the, uh, the, the, the ride with us. Graham Strachan, thanks very much for joining me on the Football Scotland podcast. Thanks, Johnny. Okay, folks, that's all from us today. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast just before 4pm, just in time for your daily commute. Uh, You can follow all the latest goings-on on the website at www.footballscotland.co.uk, on our Twitter feed at football underscore Scott, or, of course, on our Facebook feed, which you can find via Football Scotland on the search bar. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.